This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty of stuff to talk about today. I have an interview with Phil Miller coming up, Twins beat writer. A lot of interesting things in that. Phil has a great story on StarTribune.com about three different Twins pitchers who have been hit by line drives and kind of what that recovery process is like, what, uh, how you kind of come back from that mentally and physically just a really interesting story with really good insights. I'll talk to Phil about Byron Buxton and where we are with all of, of that and his eventual, hopefully, return from his latest injury. Talk about Justin Fields and maybe not starting the season as the starting quarterback for the Bears and what that means for the Vikings. And I will get to one of your hot takes as well. Haven't done hit me with a hot one for a while. We're going to do that today. But first, what did I miss? One of the more incredible, I would say, um, statistics or streaks in sports history could come to an end on on Friday night. I'm speaking of the LA Clippers, who have never been in franchise history in 50 seasons, even to the conference finals. Not talking about making it to the championship round, not talking about winning a championship. We're talking about making it to the Western Conference finals. Uh, they can do that tonight against Utah. Interesting series. Uh, fascinating stuff. You know, Clippers get in a 2-0 hole just like they did against the Mavericks. They come back, they win their, you know, when they win their two home games, then they go into Utah, you know, into Utah and, you know, Kawhi Leonard not playing in in that game in Utah. So you're thinking, okay, this is you know, this is the time when they're going to fall apart. They end up having, you know, probably with their best game of the series in Game 5, and now they got a chance to close it out in Game 6 at home against Utah. Uh, Utah banged up, too. You know, Mike Conley Jr. hasn't played the whole series. Um, Donovan Mitchell sounds like his ankle is bothering him, but the Clippers, if you'll remember in the bubble, blew three chances to get to the Western Conference Finals, losing to the Nuggets after having a 3-1 series lead. So they've gotten to this precipice point before, um, but, you know, if they can do it, on uh, on on Friday night again, that would end one of the more amazing streaks. I mean, we talk about the Vikings. You you lament how they haven't won a Super Bowl in in forty plus years. Uh, well, yeah, they've, they've at least gotten you know gotten themselves in position many many times. You know, get, getting to the the NFC title game. You know, twenty seventeen, two thousand nine. Um, you know, two thousand nineteen ninety eight. You know, go back in history eighty seven. They've They've at least had a crack at playing for the title. Now, maybe that makes it more painful when they ultimately lose. But you know, if we're just talking about truly sad franchises over the years, the Clippers have to be way up there based just on that stat. And we'll see if they can do something about that tonight against Utah. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Phil Miller. Just landed in uh, Texas. Long travel day. Really appreciate him. Hopping on the show, Phil. How are you doing? Aside from tired, I assume. Uh, overheated too. It's uh, it's 
it's nighttime and it's 96 degrees here right mm. now. I, I asked Jose Barreos, who is, after all, from Puerto Rico and pitches tomorrow night, if he preferred to be outdoors, if he likes hot weather. And he said, uh, we don't like it either. No, I, 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 want to, I want to pitch indoors. So he was happy <laughs> that they have a roof on this new stadium. Um, I want to ask you a couple things about the team. But first, I want to ask you about a really interesting story. Went online Thursday, maybe late, mid, mid to late afternoon, about three different Twins pitchers, um, including Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker. And Ian Kennedy being the third, he's been in St. Paul. Ian Hamilton. Yeah, sorry, uh, Ian, Ian Hamilton, not Ian Kennedy. Ian Hamilton being in uh, St. Paul for this, uh, you know, so far this season. But all three of them sharing an unfortunate link in their past and that they were hit in the head by line drives um, while pitching. Um, it's a fascinating story. A lot of depth to the reporting to it, a lot of depth to their their answers and just kind of what, what they went through, um, but maybe you can kind of start to kind of take me behind the story. How did you get the idea to write about this? How did you get them to open up about this? Things like that. Well, it, it started in spring training. It started as they signed each of these guys. And you, as you were learning the background of uh, particularly shoemaker and a half who were obviously going to be in the rotation, you see that uh, each of them has kind of an extensive injury history and each of them missed months after being hit by a line drive. And I thought, that is a weird coincidence. Um, and then uh, I happened to notice that when, you know, they signed a flock of minor league guys uh, and one of them, uh, same thing. He was not hit on the mound. He was hit in the dugout Wow! Um, when he just put his head down to pour some sunflower seeds and got hit in the mouth. Um, and it just occurred to me, I wonder if, I wonder if those guys will talk about it because it's got to be uh, pretty much the most terrifying thing that can possibly happen to you. You know, uh, um, Happen Shoemakers are on YouTube and you can see the uh, videos. And most of the videos are people standing around, guys in the dugout, guys standing on the field going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Uh, because uh, it's, a, you know, it's a serious, real world, not a baseball, not a pulled hamstring kind of injury, um, you know, uh, a, uh, it has not been that long ago, just uh, 14 years, I believe, that a minor league coach died when he was hit in the head by a, uh, by a line drive. That's why uh, um, all the base coaches wear helmets now. So I, uh, I approached each one of them during spring training, and, and I was amazed at how happily they talked about it. Not happily, but how readily they talked about it and how... Um, it's not a fond memory, but it's not a memory they dwell on uh, anyway. And it's and it's something that they forcibly keep out of their mind. Uh, they know it can happen. It's part of the risks of the game. And uh, and uh, Shoemaker even wore uh, a protective uh, plate in his head for a while, but decided it's taken my mind off of pitching. I. I need to focus on that. Uh, so it's interesting that it is a risk that they take knowingly. And these are guys that, you know, you know kind of lost the lottery and, uh, and got hit. And in Shoemaker's case, it might have been, he certainly thought for a while, it might be life-threatening. And uh, yeah. That's amazing. And it's, you know, we, we think about, you know, pitches coming in, you know, in the mid nineties and, you know, going high and tight on a batter but you know the 
the batter's looking for. The batter knows every single pitch is going to be reasonably close to them. Right. The the pitcher, you know, in the back of their mind knows that any any pitch they throw could get hit right back up the middle, but it's probably not as, you know, as present to them as it is the batter. And these balls are coming back faster than they are generally going in. They're going, they can be over 100 miles an hour pretty easily right. with the exit velocity. So just just given that, that's that's got to be, you know, how do these guys then, after it's happened once, how do they get back out there and pitch again? How do they put it out of their minds? Uh, that was what I wondered too. And the answer is you just do. You just, uh, you, you know, Hap says he has, he does not remember a single time where he was standing on the mound and thinking about the danger he was in. And that's after he got uh, hit and carried off on a stretcher and taken to a hospital. Um, it is, uh, it is inherent, you know, it, they, they are not wearing helmets. Batters are wearing helmets. Uh, the coach, base coaches are wearing helmets. They're standing close. They're standing, by the time they go through their delivery, they're standing 55 feet away from the plate. And you're right, they don't think about it much. And it seemed crazy to me that it doesn't happen more often almost. As, yeah. uh, and I thought that was telling in their answer too. Uh, Matt Shoemaker, I, I said that. It seemed like you're standing in a shooting gallery. Aren't you... Uh, and, you know, Jay Happ says, oh, I've been hit, you know, on my arms, my legs, uh, my chest, uh, all over. Uh, but both of them kind of said, oh, it's, it's really rare to, uh, to hit the head. Shoemaker said something like, think of all the spots that that ball can go, all the possible places. It's infinite. So what are the odds that it actually, uh, that it actually comes and hits you? That's coming from a guy that, uh, you know, that. His wife, uh, his wife thought that uh, their child may never see uh, their father again. Uh, so there's a hefty bit of denial that goes into it, and uh, and it is it is just part of what they do. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, you know, seeing your story reminded me. I did a story on this like a long time ago. Ben Burke, a gopher pitcher. This was like 20 years ago or so. Hit mm-hmm. with a line drive. It was like 101 miles an hour. And those are you know. That was back in the day before they really legislated the aluminum bats in college baseball. But it's just, it's just, it's amazing and an amazing coincidence, I guess, that they have all these guys on the team and they've been able to pitch through it. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a testament to them that they've been able to, I guess, put that aside and still, you know, go on to productive careers after that. So um, Um, anything else? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, and they are very, aware of when it happens again as it does every season uh, you know a couple of times uh it, it, it maybe three four maybe a half a dozen times a season uh and one reason that the story came up now i've been thinking about uh writing this uh, was kind of waiting for uh ian hamilton to make it to the big leagues which maybe he will uh, soon but uh, that uh ray's uh triple a pitcher uh, tyler zombro uh you know he got hit um Oh, at the beginning of this month, and uh, went into convulsions briefly right. uh, on the uh, on the field, and spent six days in a hospital. And uh, you know, all I approached each one of them after that, or happened Shoemaker, and they both said, "Yeah, I saw it. Uh, I don't, uh, I, I don't like watching those videos." I, it, that's another thing too. Shoemaker said he has seen videos of his um, maybe six or eight times. Oh, wow. Perhaps his, Hap says, I saw it a couple of times at the time, but 
I don't like looking at that video. I don't, uh, I don't pull it out and watch it. Can't imagine they would. Well, really good story. Um, you know, even a tough, tough subject. Uh, you should, everybody should go read it. Star Tribune, startribune.com. Phil, I got to get to a couple twins, you know, current event type things too. You know, they're, they're in Texas now, disappointing series in Seattle. A lot of them are disappointing these days. At least they salvaged the, uh, the third one, but the, the big kind of interesting thing, um, is, is Byron Buxton. And I wrote about this a little bit on, on Thursday, but I'm just still puzzled about this, the timeline here. Cause I was actually, it's actually at the game, I believe where he got hurt. That was like the only game that was the first game I'd been to in like a long time. Maybe I'm the Byron Buxton curse, although he he's been injured without me before. Yeah. There's a lot of curses. Yeah, uh, out a, there get in line, buddy, get in line. But, uh, he, you know, he, he hurts his, his hip in that game. Goes on the rehab assignment in St. Paul last Tuesday. Does really well there, but it's kind of like this alternate game thing, and then it seems like maybe something happened towards the end of that. So he goes on the, the trip to Seattle but doesn't play. Give, give me kind of where what you saw and what you reported and kind of – I'm not going to ask you to like speculate or theorize, but like where, where are we with, with his recovery and in his timeline and what, what comes next here? Well, I know that he is very disappointed. Uh, but I watched them set up uh, their timing mechanisms to, uh, to compare to uh, his times when he is healthy. They had him run in the outfield, uh, the sprints, basically uh, just 100, uh, 100 feet or so. And they ran it five times, uh, started slowly, uh, and uh, the last two he broke out uh, and ran what looked like full speed for – half a dozen steps maybe and then uh and then slowed way down and jogged um i uh, i you know i talked to somebody uh who said you know if he could run full speed he would run full speed right um uh, you know and he was uh disappointed borderline angry as he walked off the field uh but the twins have made it clear that uh, it's clear that something happened in that Saturday game that the injury uh, recurred to some extent. And that is exactly what the Twins are trying to avoid. And so uh, Rocco Baldelli has made it clear he's not going to play until we're sure that he's, that this can't happen, that it isn't going to recur just by playing uh, another game. So he's got to prove it. Um, and he's going to have to run those uh, sprints more than once and more than one day and then see how he feels the next day. So he is definitely not going to play here. Uh, I think, I think he's probably headed for another rehab uh, in uh, St. Paul, at least another couple of games um, just because uh, you know, the fact that it did happen again, convinces them even more that uh, they need to take care and wait till he is hundred percent ready. Um, Byron's made it clear that he's ready enough and he wants to play. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's the twins just aren't going to, aren't going to do that. And they've been, you know, they've been cautious with injuries all year. You know, some might say to a fault in some cases, or just, you know, the way they've, you know, take guys out of the lineup. And it was, I was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struck by the fact that, you know, the game, you know, he misses, he's missed 37 games in a row. Now I want to say he, that there were 11 and 19 when he went out of that game, but then you, know, you think maybe he's coming back in that Seattle series. He doesn't, then they lose Simmons and 
Donaldson in that last game, although you know, it doesn't seem as certainly doesn't seem as serious or severe as Buxton, but it reminded me of how I wrote at the beginning of the year. Hey, if Buxton Simmons and Donaldson can get on the field for, you know, 75 to 80% of their games, boy, this is going to be a pretty good defense. And, you know, they've had Donaldson for most of the season, but they're, they're sure missing Buxton in the outfield. And Simmons has you know, been, been good, but maybe not quite as, as great as I had hoped he would been. Uh, how- He's been not transformative. Yeah. Say that. yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's been, it's been clear. They've been missing those guys. If they thought they were going to make over the defense that, that just hasn't really happened because of, well, yeah. Well, and I mean, I, uh, I wrote about this, I think in Monday's game uh, yeah. where they, uh, you know, there were a couple of balls that uh, a more, maybe a platinum glove center fielder uh, makes and that in the press box, that is a pretty much a daily occurrence where someone will look at the other and say, Buxton would have had that. I mean, that, that is killing him. And, and let's not forget that he was also the best hitter on the team uh, yeah. in, in the league in April. So uh, yeah, they definitely miss him. I, I don't, you know, they're not trying to uh, sabotage themselves. Uh, I think it was probably a mistake to bring him to Seattle because that gave the impression and probably to Buxton himself that, that he was going to play. But, uh, you know, I, I do understand the frustration that maybe the Twins are being overcautious. But to me, the fact that the injury did recur shows what kind of danger uh, there is of recurring. And they, uh, you know, they just don't want to have him come back, play three games and then be out another seven weeks. And they're in an interesting place with him. I'm going to finish up with with this because he's. You know, he's a free agent after the 2022 season. This is kind of the time where you start talking about extension. You start talking about things like that. He'd, he'd be a free agent after this year, if not for the service time stuff from a few years ago. But that's, you know, that's neither here nor there, but it still could stick in the back of his mind a little bit. Where, where do you think they are just, you know, organizationally? How do you think the Twins and Buxton feel about each other right now? I, I don't know, and I want, I do wonder if this in, if this uh, episode is doing some damage because uh, uh, Byron was uh, uh, yeah he he did was not happy coming off the field yesterday uh, when he uh, I don't know if he wasn't happy that he was being tested or he wasn't happy that he didn't pass it but um, he is definitely frustrated by how long this is taking. Um, as for the contract, you're right uh, the. Uh, the year before you become a free agent is the year that you are worth the most in the trade market. If uh, they were going to deal him or it's the time when you uh, try to get him signed. I have long contended that Byron Buxton is the most difficult uh, player you could possibly extend a contract to because the variance between his ceiling and his floor is so great. Uh, He is an MVP caliber player when he's healthy and any agent is going to push for MVP caliber money in a long-term contract. He also has been out for seven weeks. Um, And, you know, I think it would be difficult for the twins to give him a uh, $30 million a year contract, which is what he's going to be shopping for. Um, without uh, without a better feeling that he is going to be worth it for much of the contract. So I don't see how he can do anything but test the market. And I suspect that the Twins 
would, if they, if they come to that same conclusion, would never let it get that far uh, because he could bring back a package of prospects. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you were looking for some clarity this year, it's just muddied the picture more. It's been like the extreme cases of him with it really you know, has so good, but also hurt. It's, it's just a, haven't been able to, to, to put that all together well. And the injury this year was a, was not a it was not one where you can point to and say, well, stop running into the walls right. or, uh, or or you know stop diving all the time. He he hit a ground ball and pulled up at first base on a, on trying to beat it out for a hit. That's a, that's a red flag for the team uh, because that wasn't. I don't know how you tell him to avoid that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, good reporting from uh, from from Seattle, nonetheless. Um, we'll see what happens in Texas, and definitely go read Phil's story on the pitchers and their kind of how they've faced face down after being hit by by line drives. Really good read there, Phil Miller. Thanks again for joining me on short notice and on a, a long a long travel day. And we'll do this again uh, down the road. Okay. It was the highlight of my day, Mike. I, I believe that. I believe. I truly do believe that. And I appreciate it, Phil. Thanks. Interesting stuff from Phil Miller, as always. I thought like, I like this point about Byron Buxton in particular at the end about how just trying to decide whether to give him a free agent contract is a very tough one just because of the floor and his ceiling. And it, it kind of reframed in my mind a little bit how I think about Byron Buxton because I, you know, for a long time I've thought Byron Buxton is more valuable to the twins than that he could possibly be possibly be to anybody else. You know, if we're if we're talking about, you know, trades and, and whatnot just because the twins know what he can do he's such a cornerstone you know potential franchise player when he's healthy um the flip side of that though is like like phil said you don't know what you're going to get health wise from year to year and you know until recently too you haven't known what you're going to get production wise from from byron buxton so you know the, the starting to wonder if his trade value because it contains so much potential is greater than his actual value, you know, as a especially as he gets closer to free agency and is going to get really expensive. I mean, you know, committing to uh, committing to a player like that who is undoubtedly talented when when healthy was having an MVP start to this season. He hits, he runs, he he's an amazing fielder. Like all the tools are there, but if you can't stay on the field, your value is greatly diminished. So, you know, another team might look at that and say we we can fix that. We we can we can bring him in and keep him healthier. We're willing to deal with whatever minor injuries come up. We think we have a plan. And if that's the case, that there there might be more value to the Twins in in a trade for with Byron Buxton than there is in keeping him. And I'm not saying they should trade him. I'm not saying I want to see Byron Buxton gone because he is basically one of the only reasons to watch a Twins game right now when he's healthy. He's one of the only reasons to go to the ballpark right now. He is really the only young face of the franchise at this point that you would really, you know, really want to, uh, to go watch and not even that young anymore. Uh, but you know, one of the, the only real established, you know, mid mid career prime star that they have, um, like Phil said too, though, it's hard to imagine them letting that get all the way to free agency after 2022. So something's going to come to a head here in, in not too long. It, it feels like, and what that is, I'm not exactly sure of yet, but I'm starting to rethink how I consider his value and wonder if maybe the value is in a trade and not in keeping him long term. Hit me with a hot one. 
Naomi Osaka announced she's uh, skipping Wimbledon not long after she withdrew from the French Open not all that long ago. You know, she cited mental health, of course, which is a, a very good reason to do so. She didn't want to do interviews while she was at the French Open. A little a controversy basically erupted, and I don't think the French Open and tennis handled that very well. And now she's out of um, out of the out of Wimbledon as well. And it, it reminded me, I got an email from listener Tim a couple weeks ago about Osaka and the whole interview subject, and so I, I want to use that right now. He says, I just listened to your Monday podcast. Great as always. Hey, thanks, Tim. Wanted to weigh in on the Naomi Osaka situation as it relates to athlete interviews. Personally, I'm not a fan of athlete interviews as I honestly don't usually learn anything from them. This is especially true of sideline slash halftime interviews. This is true more so in TV interviews than those in print. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I think there's still definitely value in the interview process. I think we learn from those things. Um, but I would say I, I get what you're saying at the same time because I've I've been in dozens, you know, hundreds probably of, of press conferences. Yeah, certainly hundreds of press conferences, maybe in the thousands at this point in my career. Um, and, and there are some that where you don't learn a whole lot. And I, I'm going to say... Some of that has to do with the process of having a lot of people there in a, in a confined space. It's kind of hard to get momentum going in a conversation that way. The, you know, the, the person being interviewed knows that they're kind of the, the subject up there. And if they're not, you know, not wanting to share a whole lot or if they're guarded or, you know, if it's just, you know, a little bit overwhelming to have so many people asking you questions at the same time. Um, I, I get that. I, I see that there's not a ton of value in some of those because sometimes you walk away and you're like, well, why did we do that? That we didn't really learn much. But some of that lies, you know, some of that's the fault of the interview question asker too. So you know, sometimes it's not so much the process; it's it's the people asking the questions that it, that doesn't come through in the right way and, and you know leads to a flat interview. If you if you ask an unsurprising question, you're going to get an unsurprising answer. If you ask a a very basic question. You're not going to learn a whole lot. So I would say that the best interviews yield a lot of really good information and are a necessary part of the process of sports because otherwise we've just kind of got athletes with basically a megaphone saying this: th- these are the things that I want to convey and they're not being challenged. Coaches aren't being challenged. They're not being asked to explain you know, why this, why that. And I think it's excruciating sometimes to say, how did you feel at this moment, especially if it's a, a you know a really hard moment, but that's also kind of part of the emotion of sports. You're trying to put yourself in these athletes' shoes. You're trying to understand why did a coach make this decision? Why did an athlete, you know, what did they see on this specific play? So you're trying to you're trying to convey that to you know your audience in a certain way to 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 get that out and and have the audience understand. Okay, this is I watched this game. Now I have a deeper understanding of this play or this athlete, or whatever it might be. So, Tim, it's a good point overall. I think that sometimes these, you know, sometimes post-game, sometimes, you know, these, you know, practice interview sessions, they don't yield a whole lot of information. But that doesn't mean that as a as an overall, they're not valuable. And so I hope there's a way going forward for, for Osaka, that there's a balance that can be struck, that we can find this this common ground where we can tell her story in a way that makes her comfortable, but also challenges her to, to, to provide the insights that you know that, that give you the more well-rounded representation of who this athlete really is. Let's end with the cooler. I see the Bears have gone you know more public with their plan that Andy Dalton will be 
the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, Justin Fields, will be the backup. We don't know when that torch will be officially passed. Justin Fields says he's on board with that, says Andy Dalton has been great. Um, you know, and understandable. It's, it's the nuances of playing the position. It's the speed. It's calling plays in the huddle, which Fields didn't do a whole lot of with the no huddle attack, uh, you know, running up to the line in Ohio with Ohio State. That did make me wonder, okay, I couldn't remember exactly the schedule this season for the Vikings and Bears and when they play. So I'm thinking, okay, are they going to catch Andy Dalton at some point? Do they, or are they going to get both games with likely Justin Fields? Yeah, it's probably going to be Justin Fields, barring something weird or some kind of MVP season out of Andy Dalton. The Vikings don't play the Bears till December 20th and January 9th this season. Very, very late. So if you're thinking about the Vikings schedule at this point in the year, which I guess I am, um, Justin Fields probably going to be the quarterback when they play, even though uh, Andy Dalton's going to be the starter at the beginning of the season. That'll do it for today. That'll do it for this week. Thanks so much for joining me on the show all week. Hope you had a good time listening. I certainly had a good time talking. Next week, a lot of good stuff coming up. I've got uh, some fans that I'm going to interview talking about Bally Sports North frustration with you know not having all the access to that, but also spinning forward to the future of listening and watching sports and, and what is you know what is a standalone app to possibly look like going going forward what to, you know what are some of the things that could be in the future as we segment these channels out further so good conversation to be had there i hope you will enjoy that hope they get some links talk into the mix they had a good win on thursday night against dallas they'll play them again on saturday it's trying to get marcus fuller on the show next week to talk about gopher basketball and just who the heck is on this team so lots of good stuff coming up this week. Thanks so much for listening this week. Download, subscribe to this podcast, read Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday.